0: You're listening to the St. John's Dumb and Creek podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson.
1: So I'm going to be doing the Bible reading uh, today. comes from, uh, sorry, it continues on with our series um, in 2 Corinthians, as Andy said before. Um, It comes from, in your Bibles, 2 Corinthians uh, 7, 2 to 16. Paul's joy over the church, the church's repentance. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you, I have said this, uh, said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, and we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by coming, by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He had told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you because sorrowfulness, as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. God's sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What eagerness, what earnestness to clear yourself with indignation. What alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you it was neither on account of the one who did wrong, nor on the account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see yourselves, how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially del- delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him as... About you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has been proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad that I can. Ha- I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: G'day everyone, my name's Tim and uh, we're going to have a look at that passage uh, together now. I wonder, uh, what do you do? How do you respond Uh, when you realise you've done the wrong thing. Uh, When you get that sort of sinking feeling because you realise you've behaved badly or you've treated someone badly, how do you respond? Uh, Often we become aware of our bad behaviour in the midst of a conflict. Uh, So maybe one of your mates at school uh, or a colleague at work challenges you about the way that you've been acting or something that you've failed to do that you should have done. Maybe your partner or your parents crack it with you because they're sick of you acting in a certain way. Uh, And in that moment, you've got a choice, don't you? How am I going to respond in this situation as I I realise that I've done the wrong thing? Now, conflict, of course, is a massive topic, uh, and it's a topic that the Bible has quite a lot to say about. Uh, as Andy mentioned earlier, in our St John's Extra this week, I'm going to talk a little bit about conflict and how we can actually see it as an opportunity to grow, uh, rather than just as a, as a bad thing that we want to avoid. Uh, and a couple of years ago, uh, here at church, we did eight talks called uh, on conflict uh, in a series we called Peacemakers, looking at what the Bible teaches in some detail about how we respond to conflict. Uh, Both of those things you can find at our website, stjohnsdc.org.au, so we encourage you to go uh, find those podcast talks or sign up for St John's Extra. Uh, But our Bible passage for today uh, is dealing with a situation where there's been a conflict, where there's been bad behaviour, where a feeling of sorrow comes and there's a need to respond. And it teaches us a really important point really, which which strikes at the heart of Christian faith. How do we respond when we realise we've done the wrong thing? When we have that feeling of sorrow, what are we going to do about it? So a bit of background to this passage is probably helpful, uh, particularly if you're uh, new or joining us for the first time, uh, a little bit of what we've been learning through this letter. So the situation is that uh, someone at the church in Corinth, uh, the church to whom this this letter's written, uh, someone there's acted badly. We don't exactly know what this person has done, but they've mistreated another person, they've done the wrong thing. Uh, And Paul, the author of this letter, who's a leader in this church Has to step in and do something about it. So he makes a visit to Corinth. Uh, He calls it his painful visit. Uh, And he goes there and confronts this person who's done the wrong thing. But the visit doesn't go very well. It is a painful visit. The whole thing seems to blow up. There's uh, disputes, factions, people take sides. It's a real mess. And the person who's done the wrong thing is not willing to admit that they've done the wrong thing. And some people side with them and say they haven't done anything wrong. And in the end, Paul ends up being out of relationship or in this conflicted relationship with the church at Corinth. It's, it's incredibly painful for him because he loves this church dearly. Uh, You would have noticed that when Jack was reading, uh, just how much he loves the church. He says things like, um, make room in your hearts for us. He says, you've got such a place in our hearts that we'd live or die for you. He dearly loves this church. So it's incredibly painful for him to be in a broken relationship with them. So as a way of responding, he writes a letter to them. Uh, Not this letter, it's, it's a previous letter that he's written where he again tries to address the problem and he calls on them to actually do something about it and change. He sends that letter with his friend Titus. Uh, Titus takes the letter and probably a a verbal message as well to Corinth and Paul heads off to Macedonia. And you can almost imagine Paul pacing backwards and forwards, waiting anxiously about his letter, uh, how his letter would be received. Um, If you've ever had to send a difficult email... Uh, or a letter, and you're not sure how it's going to be responded to, you kind of know how Paul feels here. Uh, He talks about the fact that he uh, needs comfort. He needs God to comfort him. He's so anxious about this conflict and how um, the church there is going to respond. But good news, Titus returns. He's got a positive message. He's been received well Uh, and the letter seems to have been received really well as well. So Paul is extremely happy. The the Corinthians uh, feel sorry for their behavior, and they want to do something about it. They want to change as a result of these feelings of sorrow that have come upon them. Uh, And verse 10 really gives us the, the key principle for this passage. This is what Paul says there he says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and brings leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death Uh, through the rest of the talk I really want to unpack that verse and and what it what it means for us as well so firstly uh, this talks about sorrow it talks about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Uh, dictionary definition of sorrow uh, is something like this. It should be on your screen there. Uh, sorrow is a feeling of deep distress caused by loss, disappointment, or other misfortune, suffered by oneself or others. So we're talking here about an emotional response, a, a, a feeling, and it's not a nice feeling either. It's uh, a feeling of distress, deep distress. Uh, And it's due to some sort of negative experience that has happened that has caused that distress. Uh, It captures pretty well what was going on here at Corinth, doesn't it? Um, The Corinthians feel disappointed, distressed, because of the way that they've treated Paul. Um, They know that he's hurt, and so that's distressing them. Uh, I remember uh, working through a conflict with my wife, Anna, uh, some years ago now, but I can still picture where we were sitting in our front room in the house that we were living in in North Baldwin, sitting on the red couches. And uh, Anna was sharing with me how something that I had said to her had really hurt her. And as she described how much that had hurt her, as she told me that, her voice broke in the telling. And it, it, it struck me right at the heart. I, I didn't want someone I love so much to feel like that because of what I had said and what I had done. Uh, in that moment, I was, I was deeply sorry for what I had done uh, and I wanted to do something about it. So sorrow is about our feelings. But then there's a choice, isn't there, about... What do we do with those feelings? When we feel sorry, when we feel deep sorrow and distress, what are we going to do about it? You see, it's it's possible, isn't it, to to feel sorry, to feel remorse, but not actually to do anything about it. Uh, Lewis Carroll, the author who wrote um, Alice in Wonderland, uh, has a poem called The Walrus and the Carpenter, which captures this idea of sorrow but no action uh, really well. So in the, in the poem, the walrus and the carpenter uh, go for a walk along the beach and they, they convince some naive oysters to go for a walk with them because uh, they've got ulterior motives about what they want to do to those oysters. Uh, and I pick up, I pick up the poem sort of towards the end. I weep for you, the walrus said, I deeply sympathise with sobs and tears, he sorted out those of the largest size, holding his pocket handkerchief before his streaming eyes. Oh, oysters, said the carpenter, you've had a pleasant run. Shall we be trotting home again? But answer came there none, and this was scarcely odd because they'd eaten everyone. So, you know, there's tears and there's weeping. Remorse is expressed in words, but they just continue on with their bad behaviour of eating up the oysters. It's kind of a a cute story that makes the point, Uh, but there's more sinister examples that we know of as well, aren't there? Uh, In cases of domestic abuse, for example, uh, where one of the people is violent towards the other person, uh, they hurt them. And then they they express sorrow. They they say they're sorry, but they don't actually change. And you get this cycle of abuse that continues and worsens. Feeling sorry is not enough. Uh, Sorry in and of itself isn't enough. It's got to lead to behaviour change. It's got to lead, as this passage says, to repentance. Now, what's that word, repentance, mean? Uh, If you're new to church, uh, it might be the sort of word that makes you cringe. uh, Because it's the sort of word that wacko Christians on street corners sometimes shout out to passers-by, repent! Uh, Or they paint it on sandwich boards that they they wear around, you know, repent. But it's actually uh, a beautiful word uh, and a really important word for us to understand and get our heads around Uh, So let me explain it this way. Uh, When I get in my car and I'm supposed to be driving somewhere, I'll I'll type into Google Maps where it is that I want to go and and, um, the route will come up for me. And and I'll often go, okay, and head off in in my car uh, thinking I'm following the route. Uh, But actually what I'm doing is I'm heading east along a road that I'm supposed to be heading west along. I've just headed off in the wrong direction. Uh, and what does the lovely uh, lady on Google Maps say to me when I when I do that, when I'm driving in the wrong direction? Uh, she screams at me, REPENT! Well, no, she doesn't say that, um, and she doesn't say it like that, you know, she's too nice. Uh, what she says is, at the next lights, make a U-turn. But that's exactly the same thing as saying REPENT. Repentance is realizing you're going in the wrong direction, so stopping, turning around, and going in the right direction. Repentance is is chucking a yui. Um, And that's exactly what the Corinthians did in this passage. They realise the way we've been treating Paul has been wrong. We've done the wrong thing by him. We feel sorry for that. We better change our behavior. And that's what's described in verse 11. Paul says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. The challenging letter from Paul has, has struck them in the heart. And they want to change. They want to do things differently. They want to to fix things and they want to do it in really concrete ways. They want to put that feeling into action to change their direction. And it's that change of behaviour, repentance, turning around, which marks the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. See, I think both of those things are talking about exactly the same feelings But the difference is whether we do anything about it, whether we actually make that change that we need to make. Can I illustrate it again with an example from the Gospels? Uh, The Gospels are the sort of biographies of Jesus' life. Uh, And in those accounts of Jesus' life, we see a real difference between the behaviour of two of Jesus' friends, two of Jesus' disciples, uh, Peter and Judas. Both of them feel remorse, both of them feel sorry, but the way they act on it is very different. So take Peter, here's Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, one of the 12 disciples, but even closer than that, he's kind of part of the inner circle of Jesus' uh, closest three, the people that he trusts. And when Jesus is talking about the fact that he's going to be arrested and he's going to die on the cross, uh, and that when that happens, all of his friends are going to abandon him and leave him, uh, Peter swears back and boo, not me, Jesus. Everyone else might leave you, but I will stick with you to the end. Uh, and Jesus says, Peter, you won't. Uh, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, I'd never do that. I'd, I'd die for you, Jesus. Well, Jesus gets arrested. Peter follows to see what's happening to Jesus. And on three occasions, he's challenged by someone who says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? And Peter says, no, I'm not, I don't even know. I don't even know the guy. And when he realises what he's done, he's struck with he breaks down and he cries, he weeps, because he realises that he's done the wrong thing. But then what happens in his story from there? After Jesus rises from the dead, he meets with Peter. He forgives Peter and he restores him. He actually puts Peter in charge of his church, all of the followers of Jesus. Uh, and Peter goes out boldly proclaiming Jesus, telling people that Jesus has risen from the dead and people need to follow him. This person who had denied even knowing Jesus in that moment of crisis has been transformed into a leader and bold proclaimer who does actually get put to death in the end because he refuses to stop telling people about Jesus. Contrast that with Judas. Judas, again, one of Jesus' 12 closest friends, his disciples. Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. He sold out one of his mates for 30 pieces of silver. He shows the temple guard where to find Jesus in the garden. He goes up to him. He, he kisses him as a way of identifying him as the one uh, that they are to arrest. He betrays him with a kiss. And when he realises what he's done, he reflects on it later. He also, we're told in the, in the Bible, feels sorry for what he's done. He tries to undo the mess by giving the money back that he's been paid, but then racked with remorse and with disappointment in the midst of his distress at his actions, he takes his own life. It's an example of exactly, a literal example of what Paul says in this passage about worldly sorrow leading to death. That's exactly what happens in the case of Judas. And there's a challenge here for us. What do we do when we feel sorry for our actions? Uh, Do we just sort of push it away and try and ignore it because it's an uncomfortable feeling and we just want to forget about it? Do we wallow in it and get get swamped and overwhelmed with our sorrow? Do we uh, lash out and deflect it on other people by attacking them Um, It's their fault that I'm feeling bad. Or do we actually do something about it, acknowledge the reality of the feelings and determine under God to make a change? Here's a thought experiment. What would have happened to Judas if he hadn't ended up taking his own life? What, in the midst of his remorse and his grief, he had of hung around, maybe in hiding, in Jerusalem until after Jesus had risen from the dead? What if Judas also, like Peter, had have met the risen Jesus and interacted with him? Would Jesus have forgiven Judas? That question really strikes right at the very heart of what Christianity is all about, right at the heart of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Jesus. right, here's Judas. He's backstabbed his mate. He's sold him out for cash. Uh, Jesus, who is God himself in human flesh, he's betrayed him and he's been killed. They're terrible actions. But are they forgivable? Would the death of Jesus on the cross been powerful enough to have covered the sin of Judas, the failing of Judas? And the answer is yes. Jesus' death on the cross covers every sin and any sin. No matter what we've done in our lives, Jesus died to take our sin upon himself, to deal with it and to offer us complete forgiveness. The cross of Jesus is that powerful The blood of Jesus can cover any and every sin, including the things that Judas had done. Maybe you're struggling with something that you've done wrong in your life, something that you you cringe to think about, and you, you think there's no way that God could forgive that. Maybe it's something that is even in your life at the moment that you're doing, and you think, God would never want me. God would never accept me. There's no way that that could be forgiven. I want to say to you that there is no limitation on the forgiveness of God, that the death of Jesus on the cross completely covers all of the wrong things that we've done in our life. There is complete forgiveness in him. Even you know, the, the epitome of betrayal himself, Judas, would have received that forgiveness From Jesus. So please don't drown in your sorrow. Please don't hide it away and ignore it. Please don't become embittered by it as it sits within you or use it as a weapon to strike out at other people. Make sure that that sorrow is godly sorrow and leads to repentance, a change of direction. If you're someone uh, who is not a follower of Jesus but you're really aware of your need for God and that you haven't been living your life making God number one, making him the boss and living his way, then what you need in your life is repentance. You need to chuck a U-turn to turn away from the way you have been living and turn back to God. We often uh, speak here at St John's about uh, saying, sorry, thank you, and please. Uh, Sorry, God, that I haven't been living life the way that you want me to. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross to deal with my sin and to offer me forgiveness. Please uh, forgive me. Please uh, accept me as your follower. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live my life the way that you want me to live, with you as number one from now on. What will happen if you pray that prayer? Well, the answer again is in our passage. Godly sorrow brings repentance, that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. The result is salvation, being saved, which is another way of saying being forgiven, being brought into relationship with God. Uh, God gives us a new life. He makes us a new creation in Jesus. He leads us into a new way of living, a way of abundant life in him, Uh, a life which does things differently, relating to people differently as we live in relationship with God. Uh, A life with a real purpose, living for God from now on. Life with hope for the future because God promises eternal life, life that even goes beyond death. It's a a wonderful vision that God gives us of of a new way of being, living in forgiveness and living in relationship with the loving creator God who made us and knows us more deeply than anyone else. What about if you're already a follower of Jesus? Well, the application is pretty similar um, because repentance is not just this one-off thing that you do, uh, the way that you become a Christian and then you forget about it uh, from then on. Uh, Repentance actually lies at the heart of what it means to live as a Christian. It's kind of a, a dynamic way of following Jesus You could say it's kind of a signature move of being a Christian. You might have a signature move on the dance floor. I won't show you mine. Um, But uh, repentance is kind of a signature move for Christians. It's it's just something that we do. So when when you first make a decision to follow Jesus, uh, you're kind of chucking a really big U-turn at that point. You're turning your whole life around to say, now I want to live for God. I want to receive Jesus and live for God. Um, But then on that journey of following Jesus, it's full of a whole lot of little U-turns and constant U-turns that we need to make in our lives all the time. When we realise that there's areas in our life which aren't lined up with the way that God would want us to live, or if there's things in our life where we realize I've, I never really gave that over to God in the way that I should have. What do you do in those situations where well, you need to admit it to God and you need to repent, turn around and start doing things God's way? God, I never really trusted you with my finances. I'm sorry and I want to make a change. God, I've been finding my significance in my achievements. Rather than in you. I'm sorry and I need to change. God, I've mistreated that person and I've failed to love them the way that you want them to be loved. I'm sorry and I need to change. God, I, I realize that I've been making judgments on the ba- basis of prejudices, the way a person looks or their racial background. I'm sorry and I need to change. Those are just examples. I could go on. There's there's stacks of things constantly that we identify and see in our lives that, that need change, that need God to speak into our lives to empower us and to help us to change those things as we turn around from doing things our way and do them the way that God wants us to do. Repentance is a dynamic part of being a follower of Jesus. It's it's a signature move for Christians. Just so that we're quite clear on this and you don't misunderstand what I'm saying, uh, God doesn't accept us on the basis of our good behaviour. God doesn't say, uh, you need to be good enough and then I'll accept you. No, God takes us warts and all. He receives us as we are. He forgives us in Jesus and he forgives our sins. That's his grace to us. It's not on the basis of how good we've been because none of us would be good enough. But when we start following Jesus, that means living life differently. And so it does mean making changes to do things God's way, turning around constantly, repenting of things to be living God's way. So here's my question for you Christians. When was the last time that you repented? Right? That's not a hypothetical question. That is a, that is a serious question. Um, I'm not just talking about when did you last feel sorry or feel sorrow, but when did you take that feeling and actually do something concrete about it, change your behaviour to do things the way that God would want you to live? Has it been in the last week? the last month. Uh, if you're struggling to identify uh, a time that you've repented recently, it could mean one of two things. Uh, firstly, it could mean you're perfect, um, probably unlikely. Uh, the second thing it could mean is that, well, it's a bit of an alarm bell for you. Um, maybe that there's, there's a bit of a, a hardness of heart there and an unwillingness to change and be changed by God, transform more to the way that he wants you to live? Uh, It could be that as you think about it, you think, I don't particularly feel sorrow. Uh, When you've mistreated someone, when you've done the wrong thing, do do you feel the sorrow about that? Or do you tend to sort of blame them rather than actually taking on board your part in whatever has happened? Maybe you need to ask God by his Holy Spirit to actually soften your heart and kindle those feelings of sorrow which reflect uh, what they should reflect when we do the wrong thing by other people. But maybe you you do feel those feelings of sorrow but you're not really acting on them. Maybe you're sort of getting uh, stuck and wallowing a bit in the sorry feelings but you haven't actually taken the concrete steps to turn them into action, to turn them into repentance, and to make those changes. Well, the challenge here is to treat that sorrow as godly sorrow uh, to repent. Uh, For all of us, we need to reflect on our lives, to think through those areas that aren't lined up with the way that God wants us to live, um, and to do something about it. To turn around in God's power and strength so that we're living the way that God wants us to live. That's a dynamic part of following Jesus. Again, it's a signature move for Christians. It's something that we need to practice regularly. Uh, it's something that really needs to be built into our, our prayer life that when we talk to God, relate to Him, one of the things that we say to God is, I'm sorry. Um, Please forgive me because I'm conscious of these areas that I've gone wrong. Uh, Jesus, in the prayer that he taught his followers to pray, the Lord's Prayer that Paul led us in earlier includes the lines, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin sin against us. It's it's just built into the Christian life that we need to do that. So to finish today, uh, I want us to do that together. We're going to pray a prayer of confession which comes from our Anglican prayer book, uh, which expresses uh, that we do fail and ask God to forgive us and to change us. So I'd love you to pray the words that come up on the screen along with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have broken your holy laws and have left undone what we ought to have done. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The great news is that when we turn to God and ask for his forgiveness. He does forgive us. He's gracious. He's merciful. He loves us. Uh, And Jesus' death on the cross was so that we can be forgiven, to cover any sin and every sin, and to bring us fully into relationship with our loving creator.
1: Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in
0: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St John's Diamond Creek.